DMs. Have you ever felt like banishing a player to the Astral Sea for insisting your rule interpretation was bogus? Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there? Elves, are you tired of always being roleplayed in a high British accent? Then this is the podcast for you. Where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the roll of the dice to solve D&D's most heated arguments. This is Raw and Order. Dun, dun, dun. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to to greet our our ever growing audience from East Coast to West Coast and Anna's mom. Everyone, <laughs> welcome to the show. She's she's an international audience. Okay, yes. she lives in Canada, so we are Love we're it. international, baby. <laughs> I mean, what what more could you ask for? Exactly. A I lot. should get I should get but. my grandpa on board. Then we'll have an audience from <laughs> India. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, you should do that. He might be. I mean, he he hasn't quite mastered the cordless phone yet, so I don't know how he'll do with hmm. a computer. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll get him there. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, podcast talking about gay porn. It'll be great. <laughs> he'll love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure that you guys heard uh, from our last episode, and that you'll hear again from this episode. We have a sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> we have a sponsor. That's right. Um, it's the Deck of Many Things, sponsored by Game Masters Merchant. And in honor of us going all the way up to 15 Twitter followers, we've decided to do a very special giveaway. If we can get our Twitter followers up to 100, we will pick... One very special winner. What? And they will get a free deck of many things, courtesy oh. of Raw and Order. O to the M to the G. That's right. What? Ladies and gentlemen, that is a $20 value with a 10% discount. So an $18 value, <laughs> all for just adding us at following, following. Us on twitter i don't That's have right. a twitter i don't have i don't have twitter i don't have instagram i don't have any of that shit i have facebook and that's it so i don't know the terms but I, <laughs> but i'm trying and if you all i you you guys don't realize i get so giddy when i see that that 13 goes to 14 i'm like oh yeah i i basically have a little party and i just danced yeah i just i put on the house music and i just dance alone as everyone seen does it, he does it it's fantastic um, his dog joins in it's a whole thing yeah, yeah obviously duh. um that's so exciting and also we will have the game masters merchant our friend Michael will join us. The merchant. On the merchant. Let's just call him Michael the merchant. Mikey. <laughs> Mikey the merchant. That's what, that's the voice we'll use to introduce him. That's what we'll use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he will be joining us as a guest on the podcast at some point in the near future. So That's right. Yeah. So please like spread the word. Tell your friends who are into D&D about this podcast. Um, and also, in addition, 
we would love to hear from you guys. Um, I was sort of uh, tossing around the idea with Anna earlier. Like, what if every fourth episode, instead of doing our sort of normal, like go into cases and then have a discussion with a guest on the fourth episode, we just do sort of a, uh, a fan question and answer. Yeah, just like a whole episode right? ask, answering fan questions. And they can be just about us because we're so famous. Um, exactly. Or just about like our experiences with D&D or even just like fun little questions about D&D that maybe don't make it to the full uh, the, the docket, so to speak, for our <laughs> case discussion, um, but are still like fun questions that we'd love to answer. Uh, the ones that have cert denied but are still interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) So I know what you're wondering. You're like, wow, okay, I could win a prize by following them on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I could get my questions answered by emailing them. But where do I do all of this? We'll make it very easy for you. All of our handles are exactly the same. (laughs) Raw and order DND. And that includes our email, which is just raw and order DND at gmail.com and you can find us on twitter obviously you can find us on facebook and as of last episode you can find us on instagram what that's right we are that fancy you guys i don't even think i have an instagram i don't even think i knew that we're we're (laughs) gonna be influencers we're yes we're doing it D &D influencers i can't wait to influence all the things (laughs) it's gonna be great um, that's exciting. I cannot wait until we go from 15 to 16 Twitter followers. Oh my gosh. And I'm, I want to give away a prize. How cool is that? We get to announce the winner. Maybe like soon we'll reach a level of fame where we can invite someone on the podcast. Then we can be like, oh my God, you're so cool. Cause you're with us. And then like, <laughs> right. Conan O'Brien did that on his podcast. So like, yeah, we're basically as famous as him. We're basically Conan with better hair. So much better hair. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, we don't have a guest today. Should we get cracking? Yeah, it's just. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a guest judge today. It's just going to be Joe and I, but uh, that makes for for some scintillating podcasting. So, I think we're ready to get started. What do you think? Okay, let's get into it. Hey everyone, it's Joe. I am so excited to announce that today's episode is sponsored by Game Masters Merchant. Is your campaign becoming stale and predictable? Is it like the pizzazz of sessions gone by? If so, then pick up the Deck of Many Things by Game Masters Merchant. That's right, the Deck of Many Things! Remember from Critical Role Campaign 1 when Grog got sent, you know, you know. The Deck of Many Things is an extraordinarily powerful set of 22 magical cards in the D&D universe that is sure to reinvigorate your players and take your campaign to the next level. The deck is made from premium 280 gram blue core cardstock and features original artwork on the deck's 22 legendary cards. You guys, I even helped edit those. I'm amazing. The deck is available on the Game Masters Merchants Etsy shop and will be available on Amazon soon. These cards are absolutely beautiful, you guys. I have a set of these and we have a special promotional offer. That's right. If you use the code RAW10 on Etsy, you can get 10% off a purchase of the Deck of Many Things through February 1st. 10%. That's fucking awesome. Again, that offer code is RAW10 on Etsy. So go and get these cards. They're amazing. And, you know, send your players to like the Astral Sea or something. The Game Master's Merchant. GMMerchant.com. Oh, 
Oye, oye, oye. The Honorable Chief Justices Joe and Anna of the Supreme Court of D&D. All persons having business before this court are admonished to draw near, give their attention, and pour ale into their flagons, for the court is now sitting. Today, the court will hear two cases. The first case is DM v. Awareness of Charm Spells. The question before the court is as follows. If a charm ability slash spell is silent on whether the target is aware they were charmed when the effect ends, is the target aware or unaware that they were charmed? An example of this would be College of Glamour Bard's enthralling performance. Would those who are charmed by this ability be aware that they were charmed? Joe, would you like to start us off? Because I have a lot of thoughts. Oh, okay. I'm excited. So um, thank you to for um, my law school uh, classmate, Brandon Hale, for submitting this question. Um, Brandon, had I known that you played D&D in law school and had I known that I would have liked D&D, I would have played with you. <laughs> Unfortunately, it took a decade for us to get to that point. <laughs> but, you know, whatevs. Um so uh, now uh, it was Brandon's opinion as the DM that uh, yes, the target of the charm would be aware that they were charmed. And unfortunately, I have to disagree. And here's why. Okay. So do I. <gasps> oh, mind meld. Okay. So um, I would hold that the target of a charm or charm like spell or ability that does not specify the target's knowledge of being charmed remains unaware that they were charmed unless the target detected that you were trying to actively cast a spell on them, um, you know, while, or, or like observed you doing it. Um, so an example of this would be like the hypnotic pattern spell. Um, if they saw you, if the target of that spell, Anna's shaking her head. Do you, do you have the same example? I I absolutely oh do. I definitely annotated my player's handbook <laughs> and have like tabs and highlighting ready to go. And that was one of my examples. Oh my God, this is so <laughs> weird. Okay. Well, I guess this is good. This is good. It means that our research is, is, you know, it's verifiable to independent persons coming together and conferencing on this issue, getting to the right answer. Okay. Um, so for example, with Hypnotic Pattern, if they saw you cast it, they wouldn't like forget that you cast it when the spell ends. They still would be affected by the, the whatever pattern you created but if they're standing in front of you and especially if they if the target has knowledge of hypnotic pattern and what it does um then then like obviously just because the spell ends doesn't mean that they would forget however um the same is not necessarily true if it's a charm spell and they're not aware of who's casting it so um this sort of bleeds into a larger issue of just in general is the target of a non-damage dealing spell aware that they were under the effects of a spell? Jeremy Crawford, um, he's a game designer and is currently uh, the lead rules designer for Wizards of the Coast. Um, so he's like the guru on 5e rules that people like will mostly turn to to sort of get a final answer on things. On July 27, 2018, he tweeted, you know that a creature object space is, is affected by a spell, so any spell, only if, one, the spell's effects are visible to you, two, 
you witness the spell being cast on the target, or three, you otherwise detected or discerned the presence of the spell's effect, like through an arcana check or an investigation check or a perception check. Um, so an example of this is the scrying spell. So um, with scrying, regardless of whether you fail or succeed on on casting scrying. So, so scrying requires the target of the scry to make um, a, I think it's a wisdom saving throw. So whether or not the target succeeds or fails, that target would only know that they've been the target of scrying if they could figure it, figure it out some way. If they could, if they could watch you cast a spell, in which case you wouldn't cast scrying because the whole point is to see someone that you don't know where they are. Um, uh, or if they were like told like you are being scryed on right now, or if they had the spell see invisibility going and could see the little sort of like uh, drone camera, if you will, uh, that that appears when the spell is cast that observes the target, um, which which that little moat is invisible. Otherwise, re- whether the target like the target's not aware like oh I just failed a wisdom saving throw. Uh, the the target is simply under the effect of the spell. If they were aware mm-hmm. they were being scried on, it would completely like defeat the whole purpose. In addition, so it, it, moving more towards like the the legal justification, which I assume because we were both thinking about this, I assume you went on the same track. If we look at this yes. from like a statutory construction angle, um, they, so there are non combat charm spells like charm person and friends that explicitly state that the target is aware they were charmed, regardless of whether or not the caster was seen um, when the spell ends. Uh, So if it were true that this should be an assumption no matter what, uh, then this extra language would be superfluous, which is sort of like a canon of statutory interpretation. Don't read language into statutes that would be, that would make it superfluous. Instead, every, um, every bit of language is, is meant to have some sort of utility or meaning. What about you, Anna? What, what are you thinking? That, that was all of the stuff I was going to say. So. <laughs> Great episode, everyone. All right, we're done. Here's more of Joe. <laughs> no. Okay. So I, I had the exact same analysis as you, right? Like the, the main canon of statutory interpretation is you begin by looking at the plain language of the statute to discover its original intent. So in looking through um looking through all of the all of the spells charm person was the one that struck struck me right it specifically says when the spell ends the creature knows it was charmed by you mm-hmm. there are a few others that do the same i think you mentioned friends mm-hmm. does that um let's see but then i had a question like I think you kind of delved into if the person's taking damage, mm-hmm. then they are probably more aware that something like this happened to them, right? Like, so I was reading through Dominate Person, mm. and it is silent on whether, like, when you're telling that person, like, attack that creature, run over there, whatever, whatever, like, when they're out of it, do they realize what's happened? I think the assumption with that spell is that they are, because... Well... I think it depends, right? So if you cast Dominate Person outside of combat, I don't necessarily know that the target... I think you would follow these same rules. Um, Now, 
the reason why it's more likely the target of a spell like dominate person would be aware is because if you just like randomly like sat up from a table that you were sitting at with like your friends and like walked to the end of the room and stabbed someone and then like the spell ended your friends would be like what the fuck did you just do right (laughs) so like you would have like other like um, points right. of reference to be like you just acted really it's all contextual right exactly. like context clues are going to give away that something's happened even if you're not quite totally aware that you were you were spelled on yes. um no and and so there was also something else that kind of that kind of gave away to me that at least when it comes to the college of glamour mm-hmm. for the bard example specifically that it's not meant to uh the the people that are like enthralled or whatever by the performance are not meant to know what happens after the enthralling performance is finished and that is if you take a look at the like description of the college of glamour Mm -hmm. right before you even get to the description of enthralling performance they say villainous bards of this college can leech off a community for weeks misusing their magic i'd like to meet a bard that can enthrall enthrall performance a group a crowd in a village, they realize they've been charmed. And then the bard just continues along in that village for weeks. That wouldn't make sense. So like, I have to read it as whole, right? Like I have to read the entirety of the, what we'd call like the entirety of the (laughs) statute read in its entirety to give meaning to everything. Yeah, right? you just read the, the the statutory history, the equivalent of by, exactly. by going and looking at the, or like the, the bill explanation on when a bill is filed. Because yeah, you went right. I mean, I didn't even think of that. Go to the description of the entire subclass. Um, that's brilliant. Yeah. And actually this, um, and apparently this was confirmed by Mike Merles too, who is also a game designer um, uh, and writer for Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, he basically said like, yeah, it wouldn't make sense if you were having this enthralling performance um, and it ended like suddenly the audience would be like, wait a minute, I've been had. It's like, no, like right. maybe after that minute ends, they won't be as engaged as they were. But the whole point is that they were engaged for that period. Um, right. And so like statutes need to be internally consistent, mm-hmm. right? A particular section can't be inconsistent with the rest of it. And okay, so please don't laugh at me, Joe, but I did, I did like, Legal research. You did, and I love <laughs> to find this. good language. Yes. <laughs> to find good language to use here, and I think that the best language that I could find that goes towards our point that, like, if the if the people that wrote this had the line that when the spell ends, the person charmed knows they have been charmed, why wouldn't they put right. it into the portions that they want that to apply to? Okay, so in 2019, there was a Supreme Court case, <laughs> Rotkiski v. Clem. Mm-hmm. All right, it's 140 SCT 355. Nerds can look it up Nerd! if they want to. <laughs> okay, and their quote is so perfect for this because they said, atextual judicial supplementation is particularly inappropriate when, as here, Congress has shown that it knows how to adopt the omitted language or provision. Congress has enacted statutes that expressly include the language that Rotisky asks us to read in. That I mean, it couldn't be more on point here if it was meant that the people charmed knew they were being charmed. They already had the language they could put in the sections where that applied. Perfect. Love it. And I should say, so this, 
um, this question was submitted um, and, and with with the, the context that this was like an at the table ruling and everyone knows like, you know, when you're at the table playing the game, unless you're the kind of DM who who is OK with like breaking the game, I should say break, who breaking the um, continuity of the game to look up a rule, which I am because I believe that faithfulness to the rules or to the you're all about raw yeah yeah I, <laughs> right? I, you know, how can i not be right um i i just believe that like the faithfulness to the rules really just creates this structure it, it's the rules we all including me have to abide by in order to play the game and make it be fun right i think one big thing and this is this can go into a whole other topic but in order to play this game effectively and in order to really have fun everyone has to be aware they have to be aware of the expectations and consequences. Everyone has to know that if I do X, Y is going to happen every time. Um, or consistency, right, absolutely, right. Yeah. Or it won't because Z happened, and that makes sense because of the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, but obviously this was a uh, you know just a discussion between the DM and the player. That's literally another canon of statutory interpretation, right? Like once one once a court makes a decision. Like stay consistent to that decision about its interpretation because you don't need multiple interpretations out there. And I think I I imagine I imagine like your friends ruling as kind of like, should we give it Chevron deference? (laughs) Which if you guys don't know what Chevron deference is, it's like if a statute is ambiguous, we kind of turn to the agency and the agency can make its decision on how it wants to interpret it. And we'll allow that only if it's kind of a permissible construction of the statute, right? right? Like, is it reasonable kind of thing? And in this case, while I sympathize with your DM (laughs) having to make an at-table decision uh, about about what this would be, I ultimately have to disagree with the conclusion he reached. And so he provided a counter-argument. So um, basically stating that this would make uh, the enthralling performance ability, which is level three, um, uh, glamour bard ability right. as powerful as a 14th level enchantment wizard ability called alter memories. However, there are just a lot of distinctions that can be made. So alter memories has two functions. Uh, the first is that it can be used to alter a creature's memory so that it is unaware that it was charmed by an enchantment spell. However, that ability applies to all enchantment spells. So that is a really broad ability, which makes sense for a 14th level wizard. Um, that That's a lot more powerful than, you know, a once per short rest, one minute long effect. Um, so in terms of their power and how they like function. Classes, exactly, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like a way right. different level of ability. And the Alter Memories function also has an additional effect on top of that, which, which is that it allows... Um, uh, the wizard to force the target to make an intelligence intelligence saving throw, or the target just completely loses its memory for the entire time it was charmed. Uh, this uh, secondary effect just makes this whole ability way more powerful than the enthralling performance ability at level three. And here's the thing, right? Like if you play a bard, first of all, I imagine that if you want to use this ability, your DM better be actually making you like perform for a minute, <laughs> right? <laughs> I would hope I play a bard. All right. Mm -hmm. And I would hope that if I ever did this college and tried to use this ability that Clint would be like, great, (laughs) sing us a song for a minute. (laughs) 
I have a whole minute. I'm timing you, and he does time, yeah. so you know that I've he witnessed does it. this, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Oddly enough, I have also sang in game, and I'm not a bard, so you know sometimes you just want to give a little a little rendition of Santa Baby in in the Forgotten Realms universe. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was fake Christmas or whatever we were doing. Feast of at that time, Feast of the but... Moon. Was that it? Feast of the Festival of the Moon. I don't know. Feast of He's going to be really and angry then, that we didn't yeah, remember. Yeah, the Ascension. <laughs> the Ascension. There you go. Um, um no, but like if you're going to play a bard and the and the reaction to your enthralling performance is that people speak glowingly of you, right? Like that's what you get out of this kind of thing. And, and they like think highly of you and speak glowingly of you. I can see that. Like I'm a performer. I sing you a fantastic song. Mm -hmm. I'm enthralling to watch and you speak glowingly of me. That doesn't seem outrageously powerful for a third level bard. Um, And again, like, you can all like context clues will always exist in a situation where it doesn't make sense. So let's say you're a bard and and you go up and do this performance and your DM makes you roll a performance check and you get a one. Okay. <laughs> maybe for the minute that this ability happened, these people were like enthralled by you, but everyone, like you can only affect a certain number of creatures. So everyone around them is going to be like, boo, you suck. And like, as soon as that minute is up, you're going to be like, wait a minute, this is horrible. And then you you <laughs> might be able to put two and two together, especially if your friend wasn't charmed. And they were like, for for the last minute, you totally were like, totally into this. You were like moshing. <laughs> you were up in the front. You were like jumping and screaming and everyone else was like running out of here. Right. So like there are ways. Or mm-hmm. or they they like the minute ends and they're still like really happy with the performance, but now they know they have to be like, oh yeah, that that guy totally sucked because <laughs> well, everybody everybody else seemed to really hate him. So yeah, yeah, that was terrible. Yes. Totally hated exactly. it. Oh my god, it, it was, was amazing. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. Well, I think that's our holding. That yes, uh, the the targets of a spell that does not specify the target's knowledge that they were affected by the spell is therefore unaware that that spell occurred to them unless one of these sort of extenuating logical um, consequences of like you casting it in sight and doing something that would tip them off or them being able to pick up um, the, the presence of magic or something being, being used. Yep. I I'll join that. I mean, speaking in the, in the legal term, the legislature is presumed to act intentionally and purposefully. So when it includes language in one section, but omits it in another, it did so with intention. Absolutely. Beautiful. All right. Case closed. Woohoo. The court will now hear its second case, players versus moonbeam movement. The question before the court is as follows. The moonbeam spell says that the spell appears, quote, on a point within range, unquote, without mentioning the need for sight and can be moved in any direction on subsequent turns. Does that mean Moonbeam can be cast on or subsequently moved to a point the player cannot see? Can it be moved through solid objects? All right. So, okay, like right out of the gate here, I feel like the same semi same analysis <laughs> will apply here <laughs> that it did for our last one right okay so when we're looking at the language mm-hmm. in moonbeam 
it says it doesn't say anywhere it just bothers me so much i I don't want to hear the answer I I know, but you can't you can't have it apply to one and not the sure other. Sure, I can. I'm Remember the DM. We're talking about I'm consistent ruling. Okay, I consistent ruling. I submitted this question because this came up in my campaign, and um, uh, our druid in the in the group, who's Clint, who we just talked about, who will be a guest soon, um, he used Moonbeam and wanted to know whether it could be cast. So they were in a dungeon, and he wanted to cast it up to I think. Uh, it's 120 feet, I think, or 90 feet, whatever the range is. For Moonbeam, it's 120 120. Feet. So he wanted to cast it like 100 feet away, but in a completely different room of the dungeon that he had been to before, but that he had no visual line of sight to. So we got into this uh, this, this, this discussion. Um, and then subsequently, he wanted to move the Moonbeam like completely through the wall to be into the room he was in the following turn. And then we had this, this corollary issue of, can it move through solid objects? Joe, would you agree that you can cast Moonbeam in a dark room, like in a, in a, in a dungeon, in a tunnel, in mines? Would you agree with that? You're going to, this is like, you're setting me up. (laughs) I know this this is is cross examination (laughs) right here. I'm just looking for a yes or no, Joe. Would you agree the that you can cast Moonbeam um, <laughs> in a dark area? Yes, which makes sense then that you should be able to basically cast, cast it. it past what your dark vision is, which could at sometimes be like 60. Yeah. And if you have a range of 120 feet to cast this Moonbeam, mm-hmm. then ipso facto... I've used that incorrectly <laughs> saying it. <laughs> Nonetheless... <laughs> I sounded so smart during our first case when I was like, ooh, Rotsky v. Clem. And now I'm like, ipso facto, these words are meaningless. But So, right. Ultimately, I I do agree. However, I did put uh, my my own little homebrew sort of addendum to this spell, which is, sure, you can go ahead and cast Moonbeam to a spot that you can't see. However, you take the full consequences of doing that and because you might say, okay, I want to do it 100 feet this way, but you might not precisely know exactly where 100 feet that way is or or if it were to be like in the room, like in in a connecting room in a dungeon, it, it like I made basically the ruling that it would require a greater level of arcane precision, if you will. So I added a a little bit to it that basically said um, uh, that it may require like a certain ability check on a case by case basis to determine whether you are actually able to put the moonbeam in the precise location, location you intended to because of your, um, your inability to see that location. And the way I rationalize it is, is that the only way the player would know that that is exactly where they want to do it is by metagaming. The only way that a player would know the placement of, unless someone like, you know, sent them a message the the the, the turn before and was like, I am in this exact location, hundred feet from you, they would be completely guessing as to the most logical spot to put the moonbeam on where you know the monster is compared to maybe where their their ally is. So. 
but the reason why they do know that is because they can see the whole map, which their character can't. So there's a there's a little right. bit of metagaming going on. So to counteract that, I basically said, I will let you do this because you're right. The rule, most spells, if you look at the vast majority of spells, healing word, like any of these spells that require... Um, uh, it says a point you can a point see. You can see. A place you can right. see. A creature yeah. you can see. This one specifically does not. And I think you're exactly right. The reason is because if it's dark, it can, this can light up an area. And it makes sense that you should be able to cast it in darkness because it's Spoonbeam. Um, but I will sometimes require, um, especially if the character has not been in that room yet and is. Yeah, I was going to ask. I was like, do they get advantage on that role that you make them do if they have if they are familiar with the area? Like if they've been there before? Because there are spells that say. You know, you can you can cast a. I can't remember the spell. I literally read through all of the spells. Which one is it? Um, over the last two days, but I can't remember. What's what the, the description? Name of it is. But it says that you can cast something as long as you have been to that area before, or as long as you have been to that place before. And I feel oh. like it had like a range that was really far, and I wish I had marked it. I, I don't um, remember. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I don't recall specifically the spell that you're thinking of. Um, Right. But uh, so I, I wouldn't give them advantage, but the DC might be significantly lower. Like it might be like a five arcana check. Right. Um, something pretty simple. But again, that might be OK. Yeah. You might know where in the room you want to drop this moonbeam. But if it's been two rounds since you've been in there, you don't know where the you don't know if the enemy has moved. You don't know if your ally has moved. Um so I just use, so, so so depending on what they want to do, if it's a place they've never been, I might require an arcana check just to see if they can, if they can precisely like pinpoint the location they want to drop the moonbeam. If it's a place they've already been, maybe just sort of like an insight check or an overall just intelligence check, just to see if they can get over that initial hurdle of being able to, um, you know, uh, uh, recall exactly where they want to put, to put the spell. Um, Fair enough. Then I take it that through walls has the same kind of extra layer for you or. Well, so there are other spells that specifically state that something can or cannot pass through walls. And I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think maybe like the only uh, example that's coming to my mind right now is something like Mage Hand, right? Like it's sort of this like this spectral hand that you can cast um you know, within 30 feet or whatever at, at any point. But um, it doesn't state that the mage hand can go through solid objects. And there's mm -hmm. sort of this, uh, uh, just like we were discussing with statutory construction, this principle that, you know, there's no hidden rules. So certain creatures like ghosts in D&D &D have something called incorporeal movement, which allows right. them to travel through solid objects. And listeners, you might be able to find... I can't find a spell right now that, that specifically talks about this. I believe that there are some that talk about the ability to travel through solid objects or not. Through solid objects. Um, and, but yeah. I would I would hold that no, Moonbeam, when it's moved, it may be a beam of light, but it is doing a damaging effect. And presumably that damaging effect has some tangible element to it that is, that is you know, that that is... Um, brought into existence by this beam of light. So that would not be able to pass through a wall. Much like light can't pass here's, through walls. Here's why I disagree with okay. that analysis, okay? Mm -hmm. If you take the mage hand spell, 
One of the benefits of Mage Hand is that it can do things in a physical world that you don't want to do up close, right? Like, so you can mm-hmm. stand 30 feet back and it can open the door. It can unlock a chest. Right. It can check the ground for traps or whatever. That's the, so one of the things of like statutory construction, statutory interpretation is you can't do it if it leads to absurd results. So obviously a mage hand can't be the same as like uh, a ghost walking through walls because how can it both hold a doorknob and twist it and open the door, but also be able to just like pass through solid surfaces, right? Like that, that wouldn't make sense with what the purpose of the mage hand is. But Moonbeam seems different to me because the type of damage that it's dealing is a, it's radiant damage, right? I believe that's what Moonbeam does. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I'm. it's not like it's dealing like slashing or bludgeoning damage. It's radiant damage. And the fact that it, it has no physical purpose other than to deal that radiant damage it's not it's not meant to like move things or open things or push things it has none of those purposes that to me makes it seem like you can move it through solid spaces yeah i mean i i i don't i don't like I, i completely see that point i just think that so with respect to moving the moonbeam uh 60 feet uh, as your action on a subsequent turn, I think that I would rule that it cannot pass through solid objects. And here's why. Because most spells, when cast, even if it's something like light, like radiant light, cannot pass through solid objects. And the spell doesn't specify that. It's sort of a given. Um, so even though so you sort of have like two competing statutes, right? So then you interpret them harmoniously. And then to the extent that they're incongruous, then you just do whichever one doesn't lead to an absurd result. I think that the, the better interpretation here is that um, Moonbeam cannot pass through solid objects because the spell does not contain language that the Moonbeam is incorporeal or has some other, um, um, you know, effect that lets it pass through solid objects, and that in general, spell effects and area of effect spells cannot pass through solid objects. Okay, here's my concern with that. I have two okay. thoughts. The first is that uh, the spell indicates that it creates a 40 foot high cylinder, mm-hmm. but you still can create the spell even if you're in a room that's not 40 foot 40 feet high right see i so would... obviously the 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 top of the moonbeam is traveling through a solid object well, if it's going through a ceiling does it i think i would say it cuts off there and it exists in the space that you created in if you're out in the open it can be up to 40 feet high but except yeah, that the spell doesn't say 40 feet or up until where the ceiling is. And then my second question is this, when you say solid objects, do you just mean walls or do you mean that if we move the moonbeam, then the player has to move it in a way that it doesn't pass through like a table or a person or another creature? Does it have to have a clear path when it moves the moonbeam? Right. Because if it can't pass through solid objects, then isn't it just going to bump into the people as it passes through when you move it? You know what, Anna? 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I think here's here's the deal. I think Moonbeam is a really poorly written spell <laughs> because it 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 like it functions like no other spell. So it should at least do the opposite and say this can move through solid objects, right? And this right. can move through walls because that would just right. make it a hell of a lot clearer. Um, so yes. listeners, if you're out there and you found like if there's errata on this subject that, um, you know, the, the rules people have have expanded it or if you've seen um, an explanation where it makes more sense. Um, yeah, then I think that uh, that that I would agree with that on the movement. But I still say that even though you can put it wherever you want initially, the only way you would know where to put it is if you were metagaming. So otherwise right. you would have to approximate and you would have to like say it could be 60 feet away. It could be 120 feet away and the object might be 84 feet or 84 and a half feet away. And unless you were like an expert measurer, you wouldn't know the exact distance. So I think that maybe I'll amend my previous um, uh my, my previous holding what about, in my campaign. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, like, what about what about a spell like Sending, right? That has unlimited range. Mm-hmm. But s- I mean, all you're doing is saying 25 words and then, like, sending it out into the ether. Right. <laughs> right? Like, so well, it's not... Well, but you're not. It's not like, if even if you're not metagaming... Well, no, 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 but you're not. Because with Sending, you have to send it to a target that you are either familiar with or that is sufficiently described to you. And then it basically like leaves it up to the DM, whether the description you were given is enough to reach an individual. So sending has a target. So it's range is unlimited, right? But you still need a target. Whereas moonbeam, there's no target. There's just a targeted space, a, you know, a point in, in, in space. So sending is is a little bit different. But yeah, I don't know. I'd still say that the only way you would be able to know any spell where like you didn't have to see. And like the thing that makes this spell so unique is that pretty much every other spell that has an area of effect, you have to be able to see where Mm -hmm. the spell is going. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you can't cast it there. Um, I don't I mean, I I think you're right. It It likely had to do with with darkness being the issue and that it was a spell about light. So it would be dumb to like limit a player's ability to make a light spell in darkness just by where they want to cast it. Just to, to what you could see. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, this is so different than our real life because there are never any statutes that are poorly written. (laughs) So (laughs) Everything's super clear all the time. That's the funniest thing you've ever said on this podcast. Um, Absolutely. So, okay. My holding is with respect to the first question. Yes, you do not need line of sight to the point you're putting it. However, that may, I I think it's reasonable for a DM to, (laughs) we're going back to DM discretion, but, but I think it's reasonable for a DM to place caps on that in order to limit metagaming. And I think with respect to, subpart B of this question. Um, Yeah, I'll agree. Like, yes, it can, it should be able to go through solid objects. Um, But again, same caveat, if you're moving it from a place you can see to a place you can't, same thing applies. I might still make you make a check um, on where you're putting it in order to determine whether or not you're, you're really relying more on your meta knowledge of the map. 
Yeah, and I'll I'll just say I'm not a DM. I'm just a player. So I think that the moonbeam lets you do whatever the hell you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, through all things. You can target it at whoever, whomever you, you want go. because that's what I want to do when I cast this spell. You haven't played a druid yet, have you? No, I, I oh, haven't. Oh, man. No. Okay. Well, we need more campaigns then. But but we've seen... I have seen our druid you cast have. Moonbeam, and it's It's amazing, a great... So. Oh, Moonbeam is a fucking yeah. amazing spell. Let's just... Absolutely. Okay. Um, well, I think that uh, that's... that's the end of our cases. The case is closed. Ruling in favor of the Moonbeam, I guess. <laughs> the player. In favor of I forget, wait, yep. what is this? Player V Moonbeam? Moonbeam V player? Yeah, I yes. think we're just we're just we're just deciding we're ruling in favor of Moonbeam. We just we just bullshit the titles to I these right. to these cases, guys. Um, so <laughs> Alright, well, now hey, now we're gonna go back into the conference chamber and <laughs> where the judges discuss cases theoretically and don't just make fun of the attorneys. Um, which is what I assume happens. They go back and they're like, that's, that's my worst fear confirmed. Great. No, stop. <laughs> they make fun of you while you're standing in front of them. <laughs> they sure do. Um, so Anna. For proof, see Supreme Court's YouTube channel <laughs> where I get my ass handed to me all the time. <laughs> um, so Anna, you had uh, an interesting question for discussion. I did. Okay. So. My question was, should there, should DMs allow more in-combat communication between players? So I guess I'm a little fuzzy on what what is like the outer bounds of what's allowed in combat. Mm -hmm. But I have always found, of course, like how you always want to give DMs all the discretion. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, what are all the ways that I can just keep role playing and I don't even care about combat. No, I do. I love combat, <laughs> but I just want to maximize my role playing as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I find it a little bit odd that when we're in initiative and we're in combat, the players aren't like super communicating with each other. Right. And, and to an extent this makes sense because an entire round is like six seconds, yep. right? Like that's how long one turn is. So obviously there's not a lot of communication going on in that time. And things are happening simultaneously, even though we each take a turn doing it. But I'm like, okay, if this was real life and I'm in combat with some like hobgoblin or whatever, that's the thing we last <laughs> fought. So that's why it first came to mind. But, uh, and we, we do 10 rounds. That's a whole minute. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in that time, I would be yelling to my cohort to be like, is everyone okay? Or like, hey, I'm doing this to this guy mm -hmm. to like signal like what's going on and what's happening. Yeah, because when you're fighting, I feel what you like want to do, don't when do you're that. fighting, what you want to do is you want to let the enemy know exactly what you're going to do. So you <laughs> scream it as loud <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Here's going to be my next tactic, guys. I'm going to pass the moonbeam <laughs> through the wall. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I would great make a great military strategist. <laughs> Just I would send the other side the plans ahead yeah. of time and be like, does this sound good to you yeah. guys? Can you be ready at this location <laughs> when we come to fight you? <laughs> um, so, again, I guess. Um, so here's how I handle communication and combat. I really don't police it all that much. There, there are some DMs that get really feisty about it. And say, if it's not your turn, you can't you can't talk. So, like, you can't respond. I was yeah. initially that way when I first started DMing. And I realized super quickly, like, that's dumb. Right? Like, 
let people respond. Um, I'm also okay a little bit about fudging the six seconds. If, if it's like a little bit over, I'm not going to like go crazy. What I don't want the players doing is like stopping and having full conversations. Like if you do, that's going to be your whole turn because you're like focusing on having a conversation. Sure. Um, and if I'm being really generous by like letting you say more than six seconds, I might make it be your full turn. Um, but uh, so I guess what I'm asking is, do you, are you more frustrated or are you more criticizing like like the the limitation on players from the DM or just in general when you are playing the game and you're doing combat, there's less discussion happening? Uh, it's it's not the latter because frankly, even when we're not in character and like there's a combat going on and we as just ourselves are like talking about what's happening, that's a ton of fun for yeah. me too. You yeah. know, like us just kind of commenting on like, oh, this is crazy or whatever. This is that is all fun for me. So I think it's more the former. Yeah. And the example I'm thinking of specifically is actually our like holiday mm-hmm. episode. Um, and when we were fighting of the, our like, cam- of the campaign we're in, not evil... this podcast, to clarify. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, of a campaign that we're in together. Joe and I are both players in this campaign. We're going to have our DM on as a guest judge very mm-hmm. soon, hopefully. Um, but, you know, there was a part where like the snowman was possessed or whatever. And half of the party had come to the realization that like we shouldn't destroy the snowman. We should subdue it. Because it may be giving it, it the, there may be like a way to save it, or like there right. could be some so, other like storyline that's progressing. And you know, I as the player was like, well, I didn't independently come to that realization, even though I have heard my like co-players saying that they didn't say it in character, so they're not saying it out loud to to my character. I just happen to know that because metagame. Um, and so I destroyed the snowman because I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like nobody else told me otherwise. Right. And I feel like in those situations, like if it was real life, um, somebody would have been like, Hey, don't kill it or something like that. And I was like, well, why? I think I feel like we should just be able to communicate a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, okay. Here's the general, here's what the rules say. So a round is six seconds on your turn or through the course of a round, you have five total things you can do. You have an action, a bonus action, movement, an interaction, and a reaction. So what we're talking about is an interaction, right? You can interact with objects, you can mm-hmm. interact with people, you can, you know, you can pick something up, you can open a door, you can hand something to another player. I rule as a DM that if you're speaking and interacting, that that's just one interaction because I can speak and pick something up at the same time. That's not like like that's not impossible right. you can do that um yeah uh yeah it's the answering back yeah so like even if i had been like should i kill this the people can't answer me back until their turn and i obviously am not going to like hold my action until somebody responds to my question right. so i was like okay i'm just gonna go kill the snowman so, i guess and so that's mm-hmm. that's what was a little frustrating for me but i mean overall it's always yeah fun, so so, so this matter, is but. this this brings up so many this is so interesting because it brings up so many different issues so the the main one being that the one the one biggest imperfection with D is that combat is supposed to happen simultaneously. Your rounds, all of the rounds, or all of the turns that happen in one round happen over the course of one simultaneous six seconds. It's not six seconds on top of each other. It's six seconds 
for for everyone in initiative to go once in, to have one turn. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, someone should be allowed to respond if you ask them a question on your turn. And I think I think most relaxed DMs will let that happen because it makes sense logically to allow you to respond. But that and to be fair, this is definitely not a dig at our DM because right. I didn't even say anything or exactly. try it. So who knows if he would have allowed that interaction anyway. And I, yeah, if I remember I, correctly, I, I'm going to say I think I did say something because I shot my bow at like one of the uh, closets or whatever we were fighting up in like the corner. And I think I was like, focus on these ones or something. Um, I... Yes, I remember that. But I was also like naked on a, on a roof, like a hundred feet away. The, the character was, guys. My character No, Anna was. was. Anna was playing nude on the, <laughs> on the roof. Listen, honey, if there's if you're going to play D&D, play it naked on a roof, okay? Hell play yeah. Play naked on that roof. Um, only way only to way play. Only way to play. Naked on a roof. It's like naked and afraid, but with naked, naked on a roof. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but yeah, it brings up like a lot of those issues. Like, can you... You know, like it's supposed to be that whole like six second span is just that sort of one turn or, you know, one one round. And I I personally allow players to interact again. I try and limit it to say, hey, guys, you only have six seconds. And if you're casting a spell with a verbal component, that's part of your action. So, like, you have Mm -hmm. very little time Um, when I'm a player as much as possible where it makes sense. I do try and interact verbally on my turns. Um, I think the example being (laughs) in the hobgoblin fight are talking about Heather again, our Druid. um, uh, I I cast darkness because I have, I'm a rogue warlock that can see through magical darkness. So I cast darkness. I could see through it. I put it over me and our Druid to protect her from four crossbow uh, wielding hobgoblins who are attacking us. So after they were dead, she steps out of the darkness to like to <laughs> to attack this other like this animated suit of armor and then and then right. steps back but doesn't go into the darkness. And of course it like hits her <laughs> on its turn. It's like what I I cast this concentration spell for you. Um It was for you. Um, and uh uh no, it's fine. But um I uh my character when it was my turn, I was like Honey, next time someone casts a spell for you, you might want to stay inside of it. And I, sh- I shot my bow. But um, I always try because my character is, you know, she's loquacious. She likes to, you know, she's flirty. She's fun. Right. Like she she will do those kinds of, of interactions. Um, uh, so I always try to the extent that I can incorporate those role play aspects into my turn. Um, I think it's just a conversation that people need to have with their individual DMs and maybe the other players too. Like, um, right. you know, like if the other players aren't role-playing a whole lot during their turn, then, um, <laughs> then it, it feels like a little right. odd to do that yourself. Right. But you know, and, and in that campaign, I feel like I have lots of interactions because I'm a bard. Right. So anytime I'm handing out bardic die, I'm talking yeah. to somebody or I'm singing poorly at somebody. So I, I feel like I have plenty of interaction as that character, but it was, it was like a general question of, you know, what, what is the thought behind it with the lack of like getting responses back when you say things. And yeah, if you want to keep it realistic and you want to say this whole thing is happening within six seconds simultaneously, it makes sense that, 
talking is going to be very, very limited. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the kind of game that you're playing. And, um, you know, an example of, of groups that don't follow this. So if you watch, again, Dimension 20, we've talked about this show. Um, Brennan does a really good job of letting his players have conversations in combat for humor, right? Because it's a show that's on college mm-hmm. humor. It's funny. These people are, you know, improv artists and comedians. Like, so if they can't talk during their turns, it's like, what's the point? Like, we're not just watching d and yeah, like, we doing? entertained. Right. Um, but, but yeah, as a player, I just try and limit as much of that as I can to the point where it's not interrupting the flow of combat. Honestly, mostly because you just don't want to slow combat down too. You want to keep right. the turns going and... And if anything, that sort of trains your players to be forced to, like, start thinking about making those those RP moments happen on their turns. Makes sense. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well. But, you know, we, we're, we're dwindling down on the questions that we're coming up with ourselves. So I'm putting out the bat signal here to our mm-hmm. listeners to please, please email us yes. questions. Because we'd be... Just so happy to discuss any topic that you have in mind. Yeah. And uh, if we know you, you know, we'll just invite you on to talk about it with exactly. us. Exactly. So. No, seriously, we will. Um, <laughs> remember to tell your friends, share with like your D&D community groups or whatever you're a part of, your your game groups about the podcast. If we can get to that 100 Twitter followers, we're going to send that surprise gift, even though one lucky you winner. know what it is. It's the Deck of Many Things by Game Masters Merchant. So... Um, yeah, we and we'll send. How about this? We'll put in a little like um, uh, personalized note from either Anna or myself. How about that? Or or both? Well, COVID. I <laughs> oh, mean, yeah. we could you could drop it off. I forgot. But if you do, that. you have to bake me some bread. <laughs> no, don't don't bake me any bread. I can't eat any more carbs. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, but we'll send you a little note that has like little hearts in it, and we'll say, "Oh my God, thank you for supporting us." Here's a tag. <laughs> And it'll be written in that voice. We'll figure out a way. It'll be written in that voice and in our blood. (laughs) Oh, God. Because that's... We're trying to get more followers, That's sanitary. Oh, there's a pandemic? Let me smear my blood in a card. Let me write things in blood. Um, No, but for reals. I promise not to lick the envelope. I am going to lick the envelope. (laughs) So deal with it. Yikes. I, I promise I'll do the mailing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I promise I'm going to lick the envelope, but I'm not going to mail that one. I'm just going to lick it. Oh, <laughs> even the thought of licking an envelope glue makes me quip. Okay. You don't like you don't like licking no, envelopes? Do you? I mean, it's not like I like it, but I'm not so, like okay. anyway, disgusted it's... by it. It's This is not a weird fetish <laughs> I have, guys. I'm not into envelope licking. <laughs> Sorry, mom. (laughs) Well, um, all right. Episode three is in the can. Let's move right on to episode four. Um, Yeah. Follow us and we'll see you when court. Fuck. What? what? Court is adjourned? I know. I I knew that part, but, but, but reconvenes. Oh, when court reconvenes. reconvenes. There you go. When we convene. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. Yes. Bye.